Episode 114 of No Guitar Is Safe features the killer guitar player Eddie Haddad. Played lead guitar with Eddie Money for the last three years of his career. Legend! He also plays for Martin McDaniel and is an esteemed instructor on GuitarMasteryMethod.com. Today's show is brought to you by Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com. Guitar Player, play better, sound better. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I needed a little music, so this is my brand new single, Going Down, featuring the award-winning blues singer John Namath on vocals and harp. You can hear that on Spotify or iTunes. I want you to know I really appreciate you letting me do little plugs here and there because, you know, yeah, 2020. COVID-19, kind of a wash for live musicians. I've lost 50 shows with Jefferson Starship. I hope you guys are doing all right. We all got to branch out. Everything's weird. So doing a lot of different stuff, but I'm doing more podcasts and what a fantastic hang I had with Eddie Haddad. It was weird because I woke up on Saturday morning and heard some terrible news that we lost one of the great founding fathers of rock and roll. And I had just sent a song of his to my buddy Adam Johnson, who, as you might know, helped inspire this podcast. I was just like, man, this song is bulletproof. So good. It was like a week ago, five days earlier, and all of a sudden we wake up and find out that the man is gone, Little Richard. God, that vocal track just kills me. It's just so rocking rock any harder than that. Vernon Reed from Live in Color had a great tweet this weekend. He just wrote simply, no Prince, no Hendrix, no Beatles, no Freddie, as in Freddie Mercury. And of course, what he meant was so many greats, none of them without Little Richard. And I think the same is true. No Eddie Money. And today's guest, Eddie Haddad, played with Eddie for years. And he's just a killer guitar player in his own right. And you know, at the beginning of every one of these episodes, I usually... If it's sponsored by Guitar Player Magazine, which a lot of them are, I repeat their tagline, play better, sound better. You know, that came about in a meeting, I'm proud to say. We were all meeting back in the day when we were all around the table and we had big old-fashioned editorial meetings, probably like 2008, 2007. And editor-in-chief Mike Melinda, he is the longest-running editor of Guitar Player Magazine, although now he is with Modern Drummer. I remember he used to always say, man, whatever we do, every single article in this issue has to help people play better and sound better. I was like, Mike, you know what? That should be our new slogan. You know, the new tagline on the front of the magazine. And well, I just checked and it's still there after all these years, right by the logo up on the top. And that's how I feel about my buddy, Eddie Haddad. We've been friends for a few years now since Jefferson Starship and Eddie Money started doing gigs together again. And, uh, Every time I hang out with him or just trade licks or videos or or links, I always feel like I learn how to play better and sound better because he is just so obsessed with getting better and having great gear and having a good sound. Uh, You know we'll get into some of that right away. 
So let's head over to Nashville and hang out with Eddie Haddad. Oh, and by the way, there's one point in the interview where I'm playing a pop solo. It's a game that we had going, like play a great pop solo from a pop song. And during the interview, I don't know who it is. But since the recording of this interview, I did some research and a friend named Robbie Miller on Instagram found the credits on discogs.com. And it appears the solo that I'm playing from this pop song that you're going to hear is a Michael Landau solo that he did as a session musician. I always wondered... All right, I'm Jude Golden. I thank you so much for listening to No Guitar Is Safe. No Guitar Is Safe. What's happening, Eddie? Hey, man. How are you? Can I hear that cool red guitar? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh... Yeah. That's sweet, man. I've seen you play that on the gram. Yep. Uh, you're very active on the Instagram, and you are Onward and Edward. That's a cool name on Instagram, right? Onward. Onward and underscore Edward. and underscore Edward. Yeah, a friend of mine said that on a, uh, a night. Uh, alcohol was involved, and uh, it just stuck. And I actually, at my wedding, I was originally going to have signature cocktails for the bride and groom, and uh, mine was going to be called the Onward and Edward, but... We unfortunately we ended up uh, nixing that uh, kind of the last minute. We didn't have signature cocktails, but it, I thought it would have been cool. So <laughs> I guess uh, next best thing is just make that my identifiable Instagram handle. Well, what would your signature cocktail have in it, though? Um, it was kind of a play on an old fashioned, but yeah. it had um, uh, it was instead of uh, being like more citrus based, it was going to be like blackberry based. You're like, what color do I want the vomit in the parking lot to be at the end of our wedding? Exactly. For those people who have partied really hard. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think okay, uh, that's being cynical. I have played a lot of weddings, though, so I've seen some of that. The big challenge was finding out, coming up with an equally creative name for uh, for my wife's drink, but we really could not. I mean, Onward and Edward is just so um, it's just so on point. It describes it's got my name in it, and it kind of yeah. it kind of describes how I approach life, you know. So. Uh, it was really hard to yeah. uh, match that up for her. <laughs> well, it's nice that you're trying to reinvent the old-fashioned, because I kind of feel like that's what you're, um, what I consider to be a modern player, but you also are digging so much into the roots all the time. You even moved to Nashville, where there's so much roots all around you, and you got that guitar. It's got a lot of rootsy tones on it. It kind of looks like a Telecaster. That's your custom guitar, huh? It's made for you. Yeah, yeah. So this was made by um, my dear friend Ian Anderson in Oceanside, California, and uh it's, it's based on um, a, a type of guitar he makes called the Paramount, which is, uh, which is Tele-like. But if you look at the body, it's, it's kind of rounder, a little more bulbous, yeah, yeah. you know? It's got a little more junk in yeah. the trunk. Um, and yeah. the modifications I wanted to make... Oh, and he also does the sort of Dan Electro headstock with it, which is really cool. Right. It's three a cool vibe. Three. Um, but the, what I wanted to do was he never made a double-bound one. And I'm a sucker for for double binding, man, especially on a telly type guitar, you know. Yeah. So we we went with that, and um, I wanted it real simple, just you know, telly electronic. I I did I do like the switch in the back. I guess this is kind of also sort of oh, a Nashville yeah, you, thing. You got the telly switch in the back, and you got like a little brass knob on there or something. Yeah, the brass knob. I got that later on. Um, it just kind of looks cool. It matches the uh, the saddles here on the little Joe Barden bridge that uh, that Ian put on but I, I'm I, a sucker I like, for brass 
Yeah, man. <laughs> Gotta have brass for your ass. Um, and I like the I like the volume knob, you know, much closer, uh, you know, and because uh, I'm actually predominantly a Strat player, so I wanted the the proximity. So, well, not maybe not too much because you know Strat knobs are sometimes can be a little bit too close, and you can easily, you know, knock the volume yeah. down if you're strumming rigor, uh, rigorously. But uh, you know, I just wanted the volume knob a bit closer so I can reach it with my pinky and do that kind of stuff. So that's such a great idea. I never thought of just reversing the whole telly knob knob switch thing yeah so that the switch is towards the back of the guitar the hype That's is cool. real man it's it's really useful and, and and the only downside is i do have other telecasters that are that are you know traditional so yeah. going back and forth sometimes it's like my muscle memory hasn't quite adapted you know where it's like i'll reach for the uh what i think is a volume knob but it's actually the switch you know um, <laughs> but it's great, man. And, and I wanted, uh, so Ian also makes the pickups. He's, he makes these broadcaster pickups and, uh, I wanted wow. the exposed coils on the neck, which gives it a really like, it's such a bluesy sound, man. Like it's, it's, it makes it more of in between a telly and a strap pickup, you know, it's just really punchy. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's got, I like throat. your vibrato too. I mean, give me that note. Oh, thanks, man. What did I even do there? There you go. Yeah, just yeah, it sing. <laughs> and I love the way that pickup looks. You got to send me a picture of that because uh, the, yeah, the, it's like a neck. It's like the silver neck pickup on a Telecaster, except for you can see the six Magnus poking out. Yeah, and that, that makes a big so difference. Cool. It makes a big difference in the sound, and it does look super cool. And you know, the uh, the really cool thing about this, man. Well, side besides really everything about it, I will say I'm I'm very like. Uh, Ian spoiled me with this guitar, man. But the fretboard, it, it looks like rosewood, but it's actually Coco Bolo. And ah. um, not just uh, any Coco Bolo, though. This was part of the first stash of Coco Bolo that got imported to the United States to be used for guitars in 1981. And Ian happens to own oh. a big chunk of that stash, so he threw that on this guitar. So the fretboard's older than I am, which is awesome. Which is <laughs> not saying much, youngster. <laughs> man... I mean, it's uh, uh, it's it's five years older than me though, so it's, we're we're you know we're we're kind of close. Um, That's cool. And then he surprised me with the my you know initials on the uh, the twelfth fret That's the inlay sweet. there. I love that. The crown. And, and he called, dubbed it the King Edward. Which oh, is, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I like just a subtle little bit of initial like that, where he's not jumping out at you. Like. Oh yeah, yeah. Where it's not like the inlay itself is the initial. Yeah, I, I didn't want yeah. that. You know. Big signature across your entire. Apart <laughs> from the 17th fret to the nut. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that, man. Like that kind of sh makes me shy away from signature guitars in general when there's when it's too obviously, uh, you know, like uh, I mean, to each their own. But uh, I yeah, used yeah. to love signature guitars until I started to think like I feel like if I were playing a signature guitar that was so obviously a signature guitar, like what am I even doing? I don't know. Am I am I like being myself or if I, am I just you know I don't know miming yeah. somebody else? Exactly. That's why I never play Les Paul, man. I'm not going to play some, somebody else's guitar. No, I'm just kidding. Well, you've certainly caught me in a fallacy there. So uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Because well, considering he's like, I own three Les Pauls, well, he's the one who's transcended. Like there's a there's a thing where an artist can transcend. Like Les Paul transcended the signature model that right. you're talking about. I totally agree. Right. Like if you get someone's signature model, like people are going to look at you. Are you going to play something like that person? Right. Yeah. Exactly. But the Les Paul it's now one of the elements or like Travis picking. Right. We can all do Travis picking and no one's going like, oh, you're imitating Merle Travis. 
Right. It's right. like it's trans. It's like the guitar that the Les Paul transcended that Travis picking transcended. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't tell someone like you wouldn't tell Chet Atkins he's a ripoff of Merle Travis. Like that's just blasphemy. <laughs> exactly. He'd be yeah. And he'd be the first person to say he actually would say, "Well, I did steal a lot from." Him. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's I, what uh, yeah. what's that quote, right? The the good artist borrows, the great artist steals, right? So yeah, yeah. And then I thought you were going to say Chet Atkins' quote, which was so good. I know I said it on the Tommy Emmanuel episode of this show, but because uh, he said, if, it, if Chet Atkins famously said, if it wasn't for Merle Travis, I'd still be looking at the rear end of a mule. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the best quotes. I love that. Where did we meet in person? Which was it? An Eddie Money gig? Where it was, you were man. playing with Eddie Money, and I was with Jefferson Starship. It was yeah, it was in San Francisco at the Bammies. Oh, so that is the first time we because I felt like I already knew you before then. But I guess yeah, <laughs> I certainly felt that way too when I when I like yeah, yeah. introduced myself. I'm like, dude, I'm such a big fan. I love your podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all you got to do, folks. Just tell me you love the podcast. You're on. Yeah, fan <laughs> fanboying will, will get you everywhere, right? No, you played so great with Eddie, and uh, that was a f- crazy night. That was like Dude. Neil Sean and Sammy Hagar, Sammy Hagar yeah. opened the show, mm-hmm. which I realized later that I think those guys are veterans, and they knew that this show might run a little late or something. We're going to play mm. first, yeah. get our set done, and get out. And also, because they got to do a full sound check and then leave their stuff on stage. Of course. And then Narda Michael Walden on drums, the great producer. Justice Dobrin on keyboards, my buddy from nice. Marine, Ca- Marine County. So that was fun to have them open for us, right? Eddie yeah, Money totally. And- <laughs> it was. It made perfect sense that they would uh, be the openers. <laughs> God, no, pre- no pressure. No. Yeah. Oh man, I, I like. I remember being just being backstage, and I'm like, this is really happening right now. And even even backstage, um, uh, Sammy like was so nice. You know, he was talking to Eddie. You know, they're good buddies, and uh, I introduced myself, and it was just really nice and really friendly and. It was really cool, and like he, Sammy seemed like he was kind of in a rush, but he still took the time to you know say hello and, and chat a little bit. It was cool, man. And then of course you guys crushed it. And then I was like, I cannot la- allow this opportunity to meet Jude Gold go by. So once you guys are backstage, <laughs> I'm like, I don't, you know, because I, I, I always have this this thought like, am I am I bugging them? But then you know, then I'm like, you know what? I may not ever have the chance to, to do this, so I'm just gonna bug them. Screw it. Let's go. Hey, <laughs> that's cool. No, that's how you, you got to say hi. You gotta. You can't just be a wallflower, you know. No matter who you are, like, like I went and I bugged Neil Sean because I've because he did say hi to me from a distance when he was going on stage because he because mm. I had done a couple of covers one cover story on him and something else on him. Nice. And I didn't even think he would wreck. I just you know, but he actually was. Hey, what's up? It's like holy shit! So I was like, "Well, I guess I'll be that guy. I'll go stop by his dressing room after the show." Yeah, man. And I figured there'd be a million people bugging him, and I'd just be in. And there was nobody there. It's just him and his wife, and they were like, "Hey, what's up?" And they said hello, and it was just cool. So nice. sometimes, yeah, it's good to. It's calculated, right? You don't want to bug right. people, but you also, you know, that's one opportunity when you're in the same building. Exactly, and it's so easy to overthink it. I mean, I, you know, I can't, I, I can't even fathom just the exposure to so many heroes of mine through the the gig with eddie you know like it's still crazy to think about but uh i'm god eternally grateful you know for where it's where it's put me and uh and the experiences i've gotten from it i mean it's uh it's something else and then you know because of him we became buddies which is also crazy man 
Yeah, we played with Mini Kiss. You, yes, me, right. <laughs> and Mini Kiss open. That was an epic day. It was like 200 degrees out. Yeah, where was that? I, I mean, I know it was in California. I can't remember the name of the city. It was the Cherry Festival. Cherry right. Blossom, somewhere. Yeah, I forgot the name of that town. So, yeah, what, can you play the intro to uh, Two Tickets to Paradise? Oh, man. Yeah, sure. Um, the, uh, let's see, let me, there's, I, you yeah, know what, my, my tone's There's two right harmonies. What's that? There's there's two parts on that. What's what's my part and what's your part? Your part is you're going to start on the flat seven, so you're going to start on G. Are you talking about, like, harmonizing it? Oh, yeah, the little harmony thing. Yeah, because the chords are G to A. Yeah. So, wait, is there a... Is there actually harmony on the record? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I thought there was. I, I mean, we could right, totally play, do it I'll if play, you want. I'll play the rhythm guitar part. And uh, you just ignore me because it's going to be behind you. But if yeah. I play to you, <laughs> all right. So hopefully, hopefully you can't hear me when you, if you play loud enough, you won't hear me. Okay, we'll see how this goes. I'm, I'm gonna. I'll kick it off. Here we go. I love the the rhythm of that song, man. Like, like Eddie's songs, groove was such a big part of Eddie's music, um, and it really made me appreciate uh, just really digging in when, when it's something that you know is not necessarily complicated, right, to play, but just to really get in there, you know, and yeah. um, like just going from G to A, you know, but but the, just the way it's done, like in those octaves, you know, and it's just very percussive and like strummy you know you know that sounds so juicy yeah (laughs) Yeah, man i you know it would have uh gosh if i had this guitar back then that would have been fun eddie loves strats so he he always preferred uh bringing a strat to a gig or oftentimes i would use um the road strats which were tommy gervin's you know and uh yeah Man, and so I remember when we met at the Bammies, you were telling me how, like, I guess you know Tommy, right? Yeah, well, years ago, maybe 2011, I opened for Eddie Money with Hot for Teacher, the Van Halen experience. No way. <laughs> That's awesome. In, and that was in, like, North Carolina. And we we warmed up the stage, outdoor gig, and then Tommy came out, and then we became buddies. And That's awesome. He sounded killer. He had these strats, I guess, tuned down to A flat. I mean, tuned down to half step, maybe. Right? Yeah. So we would have we would have uh, um, one one guitar would be tuned down to E flat, one would be tuned down to D standard. Ah. A lot of the there is major uh, uh, transposing going on with uh, with a lot of Eddie's songs later on in his career. Like, give me some water, which is originally an A. We played it in F. <laughs> yeah, that that happens with a lot of artists. Yeah. And. Uh, Tommy was running the, um, this is the first time I knew that a, a Mesa dual rec half stack yep. could sound so warm and bluesy and classic Rocky. Yep. Yep. Like he, he had that thing dialed. Yeah. And, and I guess and that's what I actually would, would use myself too. Like, you know, it was all backline, So it would just be two Mesa dual recs. And it's funny. I mean, you've seen my pedal collection. Like I'm a complete uh, freak when it comes to pedals. And yet Eddie, <laughs> was not a fan of pedals like he just 
loved straight into the amp action like maybe a chorus and a you know a delay or something but straight into the amp man and uh that taught me a lot and tommy man like he's he's such an inspiration because just the way he manhandles the guitar like he has that really yeah. confident vibrato you know and um uh, he just plays with such conviction. He's got really strong fingers in the way he plays, and I, ha you know, I, it really uh, was something I tried to emulate. And especially when I'm running through his rig, you know, yeah. it's like I, ha I had to try and get as close to his sound as possible because, of course, that's what Eddie really loved, and uh, and I revered it, you know. So I, I had to recreate it as much as possible and, and just try and with, without it wasn't even about thinking about what Tommy's tone was. It's like I got to try and match Tommy's fingers, you know. Yeah, a whole nother yeah. layer of tone there. And again, my when I first saw Eddie Money, like when we did that show with him, I actually played with Eddie once. I played two tickets to paradise in the year 2000 when I was in my mid-20s. Oh, yeah. I remember you telling me that. That's so awesome. Yeah. And, and Kirk Hammett was the lead guitarist and I was the rhythm guitarist. And, no and, it, and it was it was killer. Wow. And, um, you know, <laughs> I think I've told this story before. I don't know. It was great. Well... Kirk was not there during soundcheck. This was at the or, or one of the real Bammies, like, like Civic Auditorium in San Francisco. Lots wow. of bands, Smash Mouth, all these different bands were playing. And but Kirk didn't make soundcheck. Oh, Eddie didn't either. It was just me and the yeah, band, yeah, and we ran it. through the whole thing. And then so afterwards, he does arrive and he brings us up to his dressing room to meet the band and go over the background vocal harmonies because it's like a one-off awards show gig. We're just gonna play two tickets to bed. <laughs> I, was, I have to sing that i can't not sing it and then we're, we're we went through everything my buddy sean is singing adam johnson's playing guitar too and we've got everybody up there kevin cadigan hooked us up with a gig from third eye blind because he they originally asked him but he was like i'm just going to do my own rock set because he had his own set yeah he's like do you guys want to back up eddie money and we're like fuck yeah <laughs> and then so i'm telling i'm talking to eddie and then i'm like oh by the way uh they say that kirk hammett from metallica obviously is maybe going to show up and he's like you know he's always putting on a show man he always reminded me of like rodney dangerfield or something he's like <laughs> he definitely he's had, like he he's like well, vibes. i might have to bleep this out too i don't know i'll decide later when i put this together but he said he said, oh my God, what did he say? He said, well, Kirk Hammett, that's a very powerful guy in the music business. If he wants to sit in with us, he sits in with us. You guys, on the other hand, are probably so fucking broke, you got to jerk off to feed the cat. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and we all, we all fell out laughing. <laughs> and he's like, I'll see you on stage. <laughs> it was great. That is a total so, Eddieism, man. Sorry, I got off track there, but I, I had to share that story. And and yet Kirk Hammett showed up, man. I was like, he we got on stage and and I'm like, is where is he, man? Where is he? And I was kind of like, well, if he doesn't show up, I get to play the solo, which would be cool. But then it would be so cool if I got to play with fucking Kirk Hammett. Yeah. And he comes <laughs> like like eight bars into the song, he comes running down the backstage. You know how those arenas are, like a oh, big yeah. lot of space. I see this guy running. <laughs> oh my god. And somebody like almost like literally like throws a Les Paul onto his shoulders. Like he almost like just like, I don't even think he broke stride. He just jumped into it and ran out on stage, man. And at least that's how I remember it. Wow. In my mind. And uh, the whole crowd went crazy. It was just, it was really awesome to play such a great song. That was like when I was a kid, 
and I first discovered rock music and they had like early music videos. That was one of the videos like that. I watched this one hour show and Eddie money, two tickets to paradise. So anyway, <laughs> long so awesome, story man. short, hanging out with Eddie and at the North Carolina gig, I couldn't believe how many hit songs. Like I know like the first four off the top of my head, whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he has so many great songs. What a great set list you got to play. Yeah, man. He, he, it was all hits, 90 minutes of hits, man. It's really hard to pick a favorite. I mean, of course, you know, you got his... his Every song you name now, you have to play it for us. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, the, some of the songs <laughs> like that I really, um, uh, really enjoyed playing that were, you know, underrated compared to, you know, like Take Me Home Tonight and, and Two Tickets and stuff. It was like No Control. Man, No Control had that... I mean, just so simple, just that... know just oh my gosh it was so like again going back to that whole thing like just really simple parts but just played with with just this impact you know and like this groove and it really made me appreciate things man eddie you know when i first joined the joined the band i I asked him like what's the set list he literally told me he's like he's like pick up one of my greatest hits records and learn that (laughs) classic yeah there you go yeah and that's what i did um although I didn't find out until um, the the day of the first gig that he's changed the uh, arrangements to a lot of the songs like since uh, um, like since the '90s and like has been playing them the same way, but they're not matching up with the record. That was definitely yeah. a, a stressful uh, uh, <laughs> a stressful day finding that out. But I mean, I mean, it really was like a trial by fire in a lot of ways. But man, really would keep you on your toes, you know. But um, when we would have those moments, man, like when when the band was like really locked in, you know, like you could just see it in Eddie's face, like he he just he loved those moments, and he really cared about uh, the audience, man. He really loved entertaining, uh, and it was it was contagious, you know. It would oh, just yeah. make was, you want to, you know, kind of bask in his light a little bit. Yeah, man. He he was he he was a natural up there, man. Some people are so comfortable with all eyes on them. Hilarious. What, what that riff was so juicy too yeah that's i forgot about that one like you know and you're talking about groove too like i mean just to to uh, get on a soapbox for five seconds i feel like one of the they always talk about rock and roll is dying or rock and roll is dead i think a lot of bands don't have that groove like if you yeah. listen to eddie money baby hold on to me mm-hmm. so much groove in that song yeah especially later on when they go into that you know just like <laughs> You know, yeah. You know, just just so simple, but man, like, yeah, man. I, you know, let's see the um, with that song. I mean, of course, like that, just like a beautiful, like jangly. You know. Yeah. You know, when we played that, so it's so funny. We played the ride for Ronnie. Uh, event one year which it, at first I was not like confused but I'm like uh, you know you look at the lineup and it was like lynch mob and uh, Adler's appetite you know and just like all these just like rock bands you know and I'm like thinking uh, man like I didn't realize like bikers and stuff had such a soft spot for Eddie when we started playing baby hold on man you'll see like these leather clad like tough dudes and these 
big leather vests with no shirt and they're just oh, like yeah. holding up a beer and just like screaming baby hold on like it was so cool to see man <laughs> well i never thought about it that would be the ultimate you know have your girlfriend on the on the back of your hog <laughs> yeah. song or your boyfriend or whatever or whatever hold on to me baby i'm <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's yeah. too great, man! It it was man. That was a that was a crazy show. I, I there was so many people. Uh, I met Steven Adler the, for the first time that day, and he was such a sweetheart. And uh, Doug Pinnock, you know, was there. Uh, it, Bill Burr like emceed a part of the show too, which awesome. was amazing. That was such a such a crazy day. And again, like just seeing um, just all these like tough guys, you know, that just big diehard Dio fans. Oh, Kelly Rhodes was there too, Randy's brother, which was also right. crazy. Uh, he was really nice. He just, yeah, man. Like, I feel like Eddie, um, and Eddie kind of, uh, <laughs> he really got in a case. Like, he, he, his, he doesn't often wear, like, leather and stuff, but he had, like, this badass leather jacket for that show. And uh, he started really, like, uh, uh, he, like, you know, he was talking about, you know, how great, um, you know, Ronnie Dio and stuff was and then but then at the detriment of Richie Blackmore like he was he was like raising Ronnie up and bringing Richie Blackmore down for some reason and I don't know the history of like what that even means but I'm just kind of like oh man because Eddie was kind of a polarizing guy and he just did not care and I, and I really loved that about him and respected that about him like he'd go up there and then just say like how um I mean, I don't even remember. I just remember he's like digging on Richie Blackmore, and I'm just like, oh my god, the only person who could do that is Eddie, man. Like he's, <laughs> he's just a, ballsy. He's the Ricky Gervais of rock and roll. You're telling me? Yeah, no. kind of, or like the Ric Flair in a way. Like, <laughs> uh, awesome. I mean, I don't know who's Ric Flair. Oh, you know, when they say Ric Flair was a, was a wrestler, uh, and like oh. he was one of those just just like he just really ballsy like in your face, you know, kind of um, uh, just said whatever, you know. And so I, I generally hear people reference him whenever there's moments like that, you know. Oh, cool. <laughs> I, I respect people who, who will do that. Tell me some more, like, memorable moments with Eddie. Or, you know, he's such a colorful character. He must have done some hilarious, memorable stuff with you. <sighs> yeah, man. Or you must have been a fly on the wall or something. <laughs> yeah, dudes. Uh, like, there's some things I don't even know if I could talk about. but uh, Yes, you can. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, okay. Um, well, uh, one thing that was really kind of random, but it was actually like a really kind of nice moment that I shared with Eddie. He, uh, I, I showed up to their house uh, to rehearse, and beforehand, um, it was just Eddie at the house, and he invites me inside, and he he makes me lunch, and uh, he makes me peanut butter stew, which I've never heard of before. And he's like, wow. he's like, he's like, you gotta try my peanut butter stew. I, I learned how to make this in the Peace Corps. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. And yeah, it, it, and, uh, it's it's essentially like a curry, and I guess pe it's like a peanut butter based sort of curry stew with oh, like yeah. chicken and, and carrots and potatoes and stuff. It was delicious. Like, I mean, it was so good. And like, he just just made it for me. Like that one afternoon, we just sat there just eating and just didn't really talk much but it was just we're just sitting there eating together and like you know it was it was really cool and he's he, he did that multiple times and one time he made uh um uh he was uh um like preparing artichokes or whatever and i guess you when you um cook artichoke and you you can take off the leaves and just kind of dip them in mayonnaise and yeah. pepper that's what he did and he, he would eat them and never done that before so i've had a, a couple like like brand new culinary experiences because yeah. <laughs> of him um but oh man okay 
well, you know, I said I didn't, I, I wasn't sure if I should tell this story, but, but you said I should tell. So here we go. This is probably the funniest <laughs> thing I've ever heard Eddie do. Um, cause like Eddie is such a relatable guy. He really goes out of his way to be as relatable as possible to, uh, to anybody he meets to the point where, you know, if you don't know him, it could possibly be construed as, uh, maybe rude a little bit. Um, I'll, you know, <laughs> I'll give you this example. So <laughs> I was hanging out um, uh, actually to, to give give Eddie a piano lesson, believe it or not, uh, which I'm not even a piano player, but he wanted me to teach him his songs on the keys so he can start playing them. Because uh, apparently he used to be a really good keyboard player and then he got a keyboard player and just never touched the keys again. And so, uh, and I just would just transpose his songs and you know put you know onto the keys and like show him how to play them. So we were there, we were having a session there and but beforehand, like I was getting everything ready, and then I overheard him on the phone with I guess his landscaper, and he's saying he's like, "This is Eduardo De Niro. Please call me back. It's important, Eduardo De Niro. Call me back." And he hangs up, <laughs> and I was like, "Did he really just do that?" Like, <laughs> like yeah, I could not believe. I was like, "This is this guy's amazing. Wow." Wow, and and that's, awesome. that's just what he was like, man. He just, you know, uh, just did everything he could to be as relatable as possible to, to the point where he would uh, refer to himself, you know, in a in a in another language to possibly make you understand. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> so he, uh, funny, man. <laughs> he was one of a kind. What was another lick you loved playing with his? Oh man, his set. The intro to Trinidad was was always a lot of fun. That was a tricky one. That took me a while to. I had to I had to just look up a bunch of YouTube videos, uh, like live videos, and try and see what Tommy was doing, you know, when he played it. But because um, on the record, it's so many different layers. Like there's like acoustic twelve string, and or I think it's acoustic, but there's definitely twelve string in there, uh, layered with like some other stuff. But he kind of does like an amalgamation of it all, and it's like. A Like just that 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 too, man. That groove yeah. that was so much fun to play. And there was a uh, Eddie would drag out that song. There was a part where he would start playing saxophone, and he would talk to the audience, you know. And then we would occasionally do like uh, we would do three hits, like go right back into the game. You know, just yeah. the little subtleties like that, man. Just really just made the show. You know, I love those big power chord parts of his songs. What are the power chords to Take Me Home Tonight? So Take Me, uh, the, the chorus, it's uh, it's B. Oh wait, it's a, uh, sorry, what? Wow. Let me. Let me. Oh, that's there, cool No, too. no, it's D, it, it's in the key of D, right? So yeah, it's D, A, B minor, G. And I mean, I, I just did kind of yeah. open chords, you know, just to fill the space. But. All that man, all is so 80s. I love that. I'm, yeah, I'm always. I always love. I love hearing 
connections between songs. Like to me, it kind of reminds me, I mean, I think Run to You by Brian Adams or something. Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just kind of like the thing with a little arpeggiated part for the verse and then the big power chords for the... Dude, that, that was something... Uh, there's such a nostalgia with that sound, you know? Yeah. And even... I mean, I was, I was born. I was born in the '80s, but you know, I wasn't uh, uh, obviously hip to anything musical until I was about, you know, 10 or 11. But um, but even then, you know, just just growing up listening to that stuff, like, uh, and also, man, uh, speaking of like nostalgic arpeggio types of the the intro to "Think I'm in Love," man, just the. You know, throw yeah. a chorus on that, man, and it's just like, it's just 80s in one riff, man. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, see, I'm still, once again, I can't, my brain can't hold all the hits, like all these hit songs, they just keep coming. And then yeah. I love that he, he hipped me to a song, uh, Higher and Higher, because I'm a Jackie Wilson fan, and he covered that on one of his tribute albums. Mm. And I don't know if he ever did that with you, but... No, no, no. We yeah. never did that one. Uh, his Same cover of um, um, "You Really Got a Hold on Me," we did. Yeah. We would do that one. That one was cool. Another like, just beautifully groovy song. Eddie would wail on the sax on that that song, but it was just like, uh, it was just like you know, one to six minor. You know, just an A. you know you know beautiful and and just simple you know were you running two wrecks at once two mesa 100 watt wrecks at the same time or <laughs> one a, was one a backup one was a backup it would have been cool if we ran them both like in stereo or something but yeah. uh no nah, yeah one was just a backup and once or twice i've actually had to use it like uh, the amp would go down and we'd switch heads yeah. on the fly gotcha yeah i have a little mini rack which i really love like the lunchbox amp like 20 watts or something is that the one you're t you were talking about that you uh, hadn't played in a while and you fired it back no, up i was i fired up my royal atlantic this morning which is a really great amp big 100 watt head but i don't know if it's something that which outlet i have it plugged into the room but i was getting this buzz and i was in a rush and it was annoying me yeah <laughs> it, so. it, the most annoying thing about that is you, it's so hard to pinpoint exactly where the noise is coming from yeah and so i plugged in the little mini rack today I know you, you're a fan of the Dr. Z, which is covered in a blanket right now. <laughs> yeah, well, what's the one? Is it the EMS or whatever that you have? EMS, yeah. But that's like no master volume. I mean, that that would get for a Saturday morning. Nah, I can't yeah. give that to people. <laughs> so I like the Mesa stuff because it gets great grind at a low volume, you know? Yeah. What am I going through right now? Uh, so that's the mini wreck right there. And it's a cool little you this straight on the airplane. That's great for tracking too, yeah. Did well, you use that on the track that you put out recently, the the one where you're playing that Strat with the lace sensor pickups? Oh, it's, no, the Sunset I love that song, that was, by the way. Thank you. That was, no, I went over to Garth Weber's studio in Berkeley, California. He's a great guitar player, and no, he has some cool Fender amps. I was like, hey, man, let me record something through that amp, because he's got a studio in there. So, yeah, he plugged me into, man, I wish I could remember. It's like a Fender pro reverb one of those kind of smaller amps really not a not a super you know it was like yeah i think it's 112 I, I could have been a vibrolux i can't remember what it was but he just pushes it with a little overdrive and he gets great tone so 
That was it, oh, just yeah, straight yeah. into the amp? There was, he had some little pedal, man. I don't know if it was like a Maxon or some kind of like old little tube screamer kind of thing, but wow. yeah, it was just straight in. But Dude, that tone yeah. was heavenly. I loved it, man. And the song itself was great. Oh, thanks, man. This show's not about me. Sunset Boulevard <laughs> on Spotify. It's about you. On <laughs> iTunes too. <laughs> I got to ask you because you are a good survey person to a person to survey because you actually were living the great life in San Diego area next to the coast, best weather in the world, yep. best beaches, and well, best weather weather in the country. I'll stand by that. But um, I agree. Yeah. And now, and and you are always selling me on that, like, dude, come on down to San Diego, <laughs> check it out. <laughs> Which. Anyone who lives there will tell you that. Totally. And now, so now you've jumped over to Nashville. You've been there uh, two years? No, dude. I've been here since January. (laughs) You've only been here for three months? In Nashville, yeah. Five months? I don't even know what month it is. Yeah, I don't know. What is time these days even? I thought thought it was like a year. (laughs) No, no, man. January is when we officially moved. Oh, wow. So now it's so cool now because you have a huge amount of room. I don't know how much room you had in San Diego, but now you've got like an entire guitar room that looks like a nice big room with, with high ceilings. And what's what's been the biggest thing just personally switching to Nashville from the coast of the from the west coast of California? Well, you know, I mean, I stand by the fact that San Diego is one of the best places to live, man. Like I still love it. I miss it. You know, my um, my wife's family is there, you know, and obviously, you know, uh, anytime I would get the chance, I would I, I would definitely travel there and, and just and just hang out there you know it's, it's the best place but honestly um the you know the whole time i was in san diego which was about two years compared to when i was in la i was in la about seven years i was still plugged into the relative la music scene i never really dug my roots in san diego as far as the music scene it did have a very vibrant music scene a lot of talent great musicians uh but you know there there wasn't a whole lot of uh I don't know. The sense of community yeah. wasn't quite as strong, I guess, and and because I was so busy with commuting back and forth to LA, it just became the whole thing. Like San Diego is like is like where my, my where my home is, like which is where my home base is. But I work out of LA. Yeah. It's kind of what it, the, the habit I sort of uh, forced myself into. Right. So you live pretty close to Nashville next, because you're of Lebanese descent, right? And yes. now you live close to or near Lebanon, Tennessee. I live right in well they pronounce it they pronounce it uh Lebanon which Lebanon yeah no, was no. really took me a while to get used to but then I thought about it you know my my parents you know for example are are you know straight from Lebanon and they say Lebanon that's the per, that's the proper pronunciation oh, yeah. so le, like saying Lebanon is actually much closer to the original <laughs> the proper pronunciation oh. than Lebanon Oh know, yeah, there's a there's a Lafayette here, but they say Lafayette, and oh, that's, th- awesome. that's gonna be that's gonna take a bit longer for me to get <laughs> get accustomed. Well, I love how you're always hipping me to great players. You introduced me to like Ford Thurston, and then now you t- this great uh, YouTube series with Tom Bukovac. Yeah, and, man. Look, everyone's everyone's learning about Bukovac now, and and it's great because he's been so low key for so long, and I only knew about him years ago from. From Nashville friends, because you know he's a he's a staple in Nashville. So they, they told me about him, and and I checked him out. And there was so um, so little resource other than like the records and stuff that he's been on. But as far as like videos of him, or very few and far between. But everything I saw was just it just blew my mind, man. Like he's um, he's such a musical 
player and, and, and you can tell he's just honest in the way he plays and it immediately struck me so I, I've been a fanboy of him for a while and now you know seeing all this uh, he's almost daily putting out videos and just dropping insane wisdom man like it's amazing that's cool yeah I've been uh, checking out some of that stuff since you hit me to it and you know he's just like many of us man everything the entire game has changed now that we're all locked down and live music and yeah, everything's been kind of kind of canceled but we yeah. do get to play more guitar. I love your tone today, man. And what Thanks, are you plugged man. into? Let me hear some more of that. That yeah, going direct or it's real simple. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I I have um, so I'm playing. The amp is a Mojo Tone 18 watt British from their Blackout series, and I'm plugging. I, I have it plugged into an ISO cab that's also plugged into my uh, the aux box going into my interface. But in the room, what you're hearing is the ISO cab is closed up, but it's got this port open. So you're, oh, yeah. I'm able to really cook the amp and, and, you know, but the sound still fills the room, you know. And it, the bad. only, uh, it's straight into the amp. And then um, I have a little bit of reverb from a Strymon Flint and a little bit of extra drive from um, my buddy Tavo Vega with Nocturne Brain who makes amazing pedals. This is called the Detroit Casket. It's like a transparent type overdrive. So it adds like a, 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 a top end that's just beautiful. Like when I take it off. You know, it, yeah. it's just massive because it, it has like um, the bass and treble controls are actually cut knobs. So, you, you know, you can get more um, because you can't really dial enough low end out of an amp sometimes. So this helps add another stage to just, you know. That's cool. Yeah, man. Let's it's, hear, hear a little bit more. Sure, dude. Okay. Um, all right. <laughs> noodle. Ready, set, noodle. <laughs> Love it. All right. play the blues Sounds and then great. think i have no business playing the blues <laughs> it's it's such, such such a like it's like i have to really go through some uh, some crazy stuff in life to to just really really play the blues you know what i mean but dude I'm i try to be I as honest as i can <laughs> as a player uh, it's all about the tone of the vibrato which you have going killer <laughs> style man that's great thanks yeah, man i just uh i just released a new song called going down it's my version of it with the great blues singer john namath Oh, nice. And, and, and he was filming for me the other day. How do I get to my text? You know, because now it's like we can't film together or anything. It's like, hey, you go film something. I'll film something. And he sent me this text. You know, it just sounded like a blues song. The words are, his words are. Dude, don't, you're leaving me in suspense. I got to hear this. He's all, he sends me the text. I went down to the Mississippi, but I couldn't hear it on my phone. I'm singing his text. <laughs> I went down to the Mississippi, but I could not hear it on my phone. <laughs> I like, dude, everything you say send sounds like a blues song, dude. <laughs> so anyway, I, I know you know you know I, I just realized when, when you when you started singing those lyrics, man. Twenty twenty is definitely a year for the revival of the blues, man. We have a plight, you know. <laughs> we should start yeah. making blues songs. 
about all that stuff. There we are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, it's true, man. And he's yeah, he's in Memphis, so he's got like the Mississippi and freight trains. He's got all the blues items right there lying all around. The blues <laughs> tropes. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, man. Yeah, so um, I love your stuff, too. You were playing this tune on Instagram. I guess it's called Two Left Feet. Do you have any original lick you want to play right now or anything? Or sure, man. Or? Yeah, it's so random. You know, I, my a big part of my goals with moving to Nashville, really, was just to sort of have a reset and, and just be more creative and write more and session more and, and just, you know. Um, that song, Two Left Feet, started off uh, just as like a really simple little line you know and then i started throwing in like uh, i was experimenting with what like the the bass notes should be above it and it kind of turned into that like you know then resolving on like the, the major there like so yeah. i i love that starting minor you know on the one and then and then turning it major for like a second and then going back you know um and yeah, I'll yeah. see if I can still play it. And it's playing it, playing it both with the bass notes. It's like really hard, especially because it's a very pocket kind of song. But... know it's uh sweet <laughs> thanks man i i you know I, I need to i really need to build my portfolio everything i've done is just so random and just scattered across the internet that i don't even i don't even have it all in one place it's well, bad for business yeah. <laughs> hey i know the feeling man you know it's it is there's an art like more and more nowadays we have to do so many things we have to be videographers and uh yeah so social media managers and every day, you know, it's like there's so many other things. You're really good at the Instagram. At, the, at, at what's that site called? The Instagram. No, yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the uh, um, uh, well, yeah. Don't even uh, don't even try with TikTok at this point because pretty soon Instagram is going to be uncool because of uh, <laughs> the just yeah, yeah. right when you think there's no more platforms they could possibly come up with, and TikTok comes out, which I uh, don't think I'll ever really jump on. It just doesn't. I, I don't need another social media. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's all like Instagram is pretty much the only thing. It's like the thing I guess I understand the most sort of. And so I'm the most active on there kind of. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I um, the, the I've done so much random stuff, man. When I was in L.A., like I, I did a session for Eric Murillo, who is uh, one of the OGs back when. Remember when EDM used to be called techno music? Yep. <laughs> he's one of the OGs from like the 90s and he, he wrote that song the the I like to move it move it. I like I like to move it move it, right? Sweet. I did a session for a uh like an underground release that that he did. We did two tracks together. It was such a random thing to just be a part of. But man, it was a cool experience, man. He was a really cool guy and working with him was really fun. Uh and he interesting too cuz he's one of those people that when he tried to describe to you what he wanted in a session, he could only do it in by imitating sounds. He'd be like, I want you to sound like ba dum ba dum ba like that. Can you do that? And I'm like, mm, I think so. <laughs> like, and uh, it would just sort of, uh, you know, you'd have to kind of feel him out. And, 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 you know, he would listen to it and be like, no, I want you to do like ba dum ba da dum da Can you do that? Like, it, it was such, yeah. a, such a crazy experience to, to I guess, um, 
it was almost like speaking different languages to each other, but then finding yeah. common ground and then figuring out, you know, what, what was the sound that, that he was looking for, you know, but, but I, yeah. I don't even know where to find those tracks, man. Like, I don't, I have no idea. So it's like, I've done so much work out there just because I just love the, the craft and I'm happy to do it. And sometimes I just lose track of uh, what remains, you know, that's, that's out there. And you do other fun stuff on Instagram too. Like I, you, you challenged me to play a pop solo. Now, what, what did you play? You played a little, uh, dude, my favorite Elliot pop Easton. solo in the world, man. The, just what I needed. That's 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 the beauty of Instagram. You can record yourself doing it once. You never have to play it right again. <laughs> exactly. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I love all that. these challenges that have been popping up with, you know, with the lockdown. It's like everyone's like, all right, let's uh, let's just challenge each other to just do random stuff. And that's kind of been part of the fun of it. So make sure you uh, do your part, man, and pass it along. Well, you know, when you posted that challenge, I mean, I don't always have an idea, but I was like, I have an idea for that one, which is you said play a guitar solo that's a cool solo that's on a total pop song yep yep and i knew exactly which one i wanted to do but that was like five weeks ago when you posted that shit <laughs> this morning i actually learned it for you man yes let's see if i can play it because i just learned it do it, it. yeah so I, yeah, i'll <laughs> post this on instagram once i uh do 72 takes of it no there you go <laughs> uh, that's about my average so, with takes <laughs> this was when i was in high school i heard the song on the radio you know you'd hear these pop songs and then after michael jackson's beat it mm-hmm. all these r&b songs wanted to have a rock guitar solo on them yep yep this this is the jets make it real all right let's see if i can remember it i might have to do two takes or seven takes we're not going anywhere let's, let me see if my pro tools is still going yeah it looks good you're still going yep still going all right. I love you. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got for the mic up here. Smooth, dude. I Man, I love it when they do that whole, you know, whatever that was. That's the lick that you hear. Once you learn that lick, you hear it everywhere, everywhere dude. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, I'm not even talking to the mic. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a trip. You hear that. And so, yeah, I think if you do it here, because then you can lower the lower note down to the four. If you start on the 16th fret of the second string. Yeah. 
Ah. Oof. Then you get that one, yeah, you get that one down to the four. Oh, yeah. If, if you're on the 17th fret, you only get down to the sharp four. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, I love that. I'm gonna start yeah, doing so, that. Um, I, I've never actually played it starting on that. Um, I guess major yeah. six there. Though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a, yeah, it was kind of a revelation to me. Now we're being super nerdy, but that <laughs> in a key where the six would be flatted to be minor. Ah uh, yeah. Like that song. Now that song maybe it is actually major, but in a, even in a minor key. Anyway, yeah. when I when I heard that song too, like I I it sounds so much like Lukather. I found out that song came out like two years after Rosanna because he does that line. Whoever does that solo in there, yeah, <laughs> da -da 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 -da. It sounds like the like the solo Luke played on Rosanna stuff. So. Uh. Yeah. Oh. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm a nerd. I want to always want to know who played on these songs, and I can't find anyone find anywhere who played that solo. It, yeah, it, it's. So. I've, I've been trying to learn that too. Like once I going back to Tom Bukovac, you know, it's like once I um, started getting really into into him, like I, I was trying to hunt down like whatever tracks I could find that that uh, he's recorded on, and then I it kind of showed me that it's not very easy to find the credits. Uh, you know, Wikipedia is hit or miss for sure. You know, you have to go oh, yeah. a little deeper and find some forums or something, you know. But, yeah, the it, it's uh, it's kind of sad. People aren't credited as, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, prolifically as they should be. I know. Like, I looked up that song, and they were just, all it said was like, and then during the instrumental break, I'm like, instrumental <laughs> break? Somebody played his ass off on there. Or her ass off. So, um, you know, you're playing around town. Who do you play with? In Nashville, I've seen some good, cool stuff. Martin. Yeah, man. Uh, I play with Martin McDaniel, good friend of mine. I've been playing with him even before I moved to Nashville. Um, uh, he's been, you know, playing like Broadway and beyond for, I mean, probably 13 years now, 12, 13 years. And uh, he's a great player too, man. Uh, he's actually the one who told me about Tom Bukovac. Um, he, he knows Tom and he knows Ford as well. Uh, in fact, I think him and Ford were roommates at one point. Um, ah. But uh, so Tom used to own a, um, a music store, like a consignment store in Nashville, which I wish was still around because that would have been a cool place to go. Martin said that was like he went there as often as he could. And it was just like the greatest place with like the best gear. He owns a lot of things that he's bought off of Tom. I think that's kind of one personal goal of mine is to be able to afford at least one piece of gear off of Tom. Uh, I bought oh. one thing. I, I bought a pedal from Joe Bonamassa once. So I have right. that, but uh, it's funny because he was doing one of those big sort of like kind of estate sales where he's just selling a whole bunch of stuff and I show up with only 50 bucks in my pocket and I wait till like it's like middle of the day and he's ready to get out of there and I like point to that pedal. I'm like, 50 bucks? And he's like, yeah, sure. You know, so I just... <laughs> okay, well, what pedal was that? It's a Mojo Hand Effects uh, Sweet Baby Tremolo. Yeah, no, Sugar Baby, Sugar Baby. And it's a great tremolo, man. It's a very amp-like tremolo, uh, and it's really simple. It just has a depth and a speed knob. I wish it had tap tempo. It doesn't, but it does have some of the best, like, yeah. um, like I said, like the the, the tone of the tremolo itself is very amp-like, which I which I really like. 
but um, it doesn't have, I wish it did have uh, something to control the volume because it does kind of add a bit more volume on your signal than I'd like, but but it's a great well, pedal. Yeah. And I, I wish I, I wish I could have had Joe sign it or something because you just kind of have to take my word for it that, <laughs> that I bought it yeah. off of him. <laughs> well, a lot of people like it when the tremolo has a little boost because sometimes some tremolo pedals, you know, they get quieter when you step on them. You're Suddenly you're trying to keep up with the band and you're, too quiet <laughs> that is true that is true can't win yeah is it it's not in your pedal it's not in line right now huh no it isn't i mean yeah, I, no, don't worry about it I'm i not, do I'm have gonna... i got the strymon flint so i use that for uh for tremolo on this little board this is kind of like a which is also ah, just juicy. a beautiful beautiful trim Anyway, it yeah, yeah. it's it's great. I, I I have I'm plugged into this little board I have that only only has five pedals on it. But this is kind of like if I love my amp and I only need pedals that kind of give me more of what the amp can do, that's this board right here. So it's got the I mean aside from the like the effects and stuff, the tremolo and the delay and stuff. But I mean the drives I try and keep the transparent drives and and uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's I mean. <laughs> You've seen how many boards I have. I have, I'm only one man and I have like six pedal boards. I don't know why, but um, I guess just to find a place to put pedals on, the ones that don't have, that aren't on a board are sitting on my shelf. So, yeah, dude, we have to put up some pictures of that because those are be <laughs> that's beautiful. You got like a serious Noah's Ark load of pedals. <laughs> and it's really because I was late to the game, man. I was really late to the game when it comes to gear. I started off like the first... 15 years of my playing was just straight into the a crate bass amp, believe it or not. That was all I had. Um, and uh, I think I had a Boss, not the DS one, but the, I guess maybe the OD one, whatever the yellow one was, the yellow distortion, whatever. Um, and uh, I, I, I was actually able to get this kind of cool, almost Santana-esque tone out of it. It was just warm, you know? And uh, and that was it. That was that was. And I just focused on, you know, just developing techniques and developing myself, I guess, as a player. And then then I realized this other element to the whole craft of guitar is tone. And I just I just dove in, man, obsessively. And um, the reason why I have all these pedals is because there was a time where I had no furniture. So <laughs> I just <laughs> but now finally uh, things have evened out a little bit. So and I've slowed down on the uh, gear acquisition. But the yeah, tone quest yeah. certainly never ends. Right, right. Yeah, the gear never ends. It was fun. Last time I saw you, I guess, must have been at the NAM show. Yep. And we're hanging around. And uh, to me, my favorite moment was when my cousin, who's a guitar player, and he does all kinds of stuff, he's working with Gilman Amps. They're like a new company. And this was, to me, the ultimate NAM show moment. I've been to probably 20 NAM shows, if not more, maybe 20. And uh, in Nashville too, in summer in Austin, they used to do them in Austin. Yeah, but uh, this moment that you were there with me, I'm like, they say they have a room over at this hotel. We go over there. It's like a motor lodge. Yeah, <laughs> three blocks away from the convention center, and they've rented out the breakfast nook. If you ever, you know, you stay in these motels, and they're like the place where they have like the the little donuts and, and, and the boxes of cereal. And it's not even like a full on breakfast and like a, maybe a microwave <laughs> oven. Yeah. It was and just it, tarps and amps when we went in there. Yeah. Hard tile floor and the juice machine. <laughs> that was fun. And they, 
And they got these Gilman amps set up and they're screaming. Yep. I love that feeling when you plug into an amp and it's just like instantly you're just having fun. Like I remember the first time I got on a jet ski. It oh, wasn't yeah, a yeah. jet ski. <laughs> it was a wave wave jammer where you just sit on it and it's like instantly you just turn the accelerator and it's like you know what to do. Like that's how I felt when I plugged into those amps in that room. It was just Dude, it was great how how much we got how loud we got to get. Those amps sounded awesome. I actually got to use one for a gig uh, in yeah, San Diego. Yeah, man. Uh, though they're they're great amps, and it was a really nice respite from you know the noise police at NAM to be able to actually like hear an amp yeah. really, you know. Uh, except for when it like when the uh, neighbors, I guess the the other uh, yeah people in the hotel were complaining. <laughs> yeah, instead of having like other people like you know instead of having an, another exhibitor complaining or the people with the decibel meter, you have yeah, like, God, <laughs> Joe and Tina from. Oklahoma who are visiting Disneyland and <laughs> and it was 9 p.m. Regular, and they were not having it. <laughs> yeah, they had that room from like 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. like specific. It was cool though. Now to me that embodied the spirit of Nam. Like, you know. I yeah, yeah. man, I, I can like I I can yeah. agree with that. I've never experienced Nam, you know, when it was I guess more of an esoteric thing. Uh yeah. I think I think this past Nam was maybe my 7th or 8th or something, but um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 that, that's what I was really stoked actually about with summer Nam. I, I feel like people say like summer Nam is a lot smaller and I feel like that's a good thing. You know, yes. it sucks that they canceled this year though. Oh yeah. Everything. 2020 canceled. I know. And I just uh, got here. <laughs> now, so tell us, how did you end up playing for Eddie money? Man, it's a, uh, it really was a kind of a right place, right time situation that didn't really pan out until two years after the moment I first met Eddie. So I uh, initially, this was I think maybe sometime in 2014, I was um, playing for this uh, this artist from Indianapolis. Um, we were playing for this little convention. It was kind of an industry, music industry convention called uh, Sunset Sessions. And um, uh, Eddie was one of the, I guess, you know, main performers of it. And also he did kind of a keynote talk um, right during one of the during one of the sessions, and it was crazy because I was freshly moved to LA at that time, uh, and it was my first time doing like a because uh, it was it, because it was a small convention. You know, there were it was a lot more intimate, and there were a lot of you know big industry people, he heavy hitters, that kind of thing with and with labels and radio and all that stuff. Um, but um, I, I got to meet Eddie's kids. The first night when I showed up, so I showed up to the hotel. It was in uh, Escondido. I showed up to the hotel, but the uh, the artists and the people I knew weren't showing up until the next day. So I got there earlier, and uh, ended up going to this little party they had in one of the suites. And I go in there, and I'm like, I don't know a single person here. So I'm just kind of awkwardly hanging out by like the vegetable tray, you know. And uh, then I just see like these like younger, uh, you know, these like younger people, and I'm like, oh, I'll see what they're doing, and. Uh, we ended up like we became instant friends. You know, we hung out, we we were drinking, it was fun, and then I found out the next morning that those were Eddie Money's kids. It was Desmond, Julian, and and Jesse. And when I found out, I was like, whoa, like that's crazy. I, you know, and I told myself like, all right, be cool, like don't you know, don't let that impact you know how how you are around them because I was really green at this time. And then uh, later on that day, I got to meet Eddie himself and. Um, he was really nice and then he was just started asking me like he's like what do you do do you play do you sing and i'm like yeah i, I play guitar and you know I, I sing background and stuff like that and he goes 
he's like, what kind of stuff do you play? And I'm like, man, I honestly, I play a lot of your stuff. Like I grew up on your music, you know? Good answer. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, man, I, 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 uh, uh, was a big fan. So it was, it was definitely, a you know, just a crazy moment. But yeah. then I told him, I was like, yeah, I play mostly your music. And he goes, well, my guitar player is retiring and, uh, I'm looking for a guitar player. And I'm like, uh, in my head, I'm like, is this really how it works? Like, <laughs> did, <laughs> did I just get the gig? Like, I, I, you know, I didn't, I can't even tell you like what was going through my head in that moment. I, I just thought like, okay, uh, what do I got to do? Like, how do I audition? So I'm asking, I asked Eddie, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, um, you know, how do I, how do we do this? What's the next step? And he, you know, he told me to give my information to his wife, Lori, and, and I did that. And then I was just antsy, man. The rest of the day, I'm like thinking to myself, like, I feel like there's something more I need to do. Like, because, you know, when you give someone your information, then it's just a gamble. If they're ever going to, if they're ever going to hit right. you up. And usually they don't because they just forget about you. So uh, I, I had this like this nervous energy propelling me through the rest of the day. Like I got to figure out something else I can do. So I talked to Lori and I asked her, you know, what, um, you know, what should I do? Like, is there a certain way I should I submit some kind of reel or what? What do I do? And then she actually suggested I speak with Eddie's manager, um, and and she, and she was there. So I, I was like, okay. So I go to his manager and I, and I ask the same question. And then you know she told me to talk to Tommy. <laughs> Because, you know, Tommy was the man in question who was supposedly going to yeah. retire. Tommy Gervin. Yes. And I'm like, she just asked me to ask him essentially like, hey, man, I'm like gunning for your job. What do I got to do? It was such a weird position to be in. But I was like, well, um, I don't want to I don't want to miss his chance. So I go up to Tommy and I, and I talk to him and he was really nice about it. And I was well, like, he had announced that he was retiring, I guess. Right. So. I mean, possibly, I, you know, I don't, you I don't, know, I, to so. this day, I don't know the story, but I, I told Tommy, oh, okay. and you know, Tommy, I guess looking back, like, I don't know how he would know because he's been playing with Eddie for like more than three decades. And, uh, I don't, you know, there's no system. He, he doesn't really have some kind of system, you know, when it comes to new band members, I guess. So he was like, yeah, I don't really know. Like, maybe you want to ask Eddie. And then I'm like, oh God, here we go. Just a, run, a complete runaround, you know? Back a circle. Yeah, and th at that point, I kind of gave up a little bit, and I just thought, okay, just, like, let it go. Let's see what happens. I stayed in touch with uh, with his kids, you know, on Twitter and stuff. We we hit each other up, and uh, it was cool that they, you know, remembered me and wanted to stay in touch. And then, like, two years later, like, 20... This was 2015, so, so when I first met them, it was actually 2013. Uh, so two years later, Desmond hits me up on Twitter, and says he needs a guitar player for his band because he writes music as well and he's a fantastic songwriter um and I, he's like you want to jam and i'm like dude yes and so we got together we um i learned you know the songs from his first record and then one thing led to another and then we were doing a show opening up for eddie uh at canyon uh one of the it's canyons of the, the canyon club yeah the canyon, yeah, club. The canyon club there's like there's so many canyons. Five of them now. Or yeah. 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 And I almost said Canyon Cowboy, which is a, a country venue that in Menifee that I used to play in. Uh, but it was, yeah, the Canyon Club. And we did that show. And then the next day, Eddie calls me and he's like, I was very happy with uh, with your performance with my son. So uh, what do you say to, you know, playing in my band? You play all the West Coast shows. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. So it just kind of, oh, it was this weird 
sort of full circle kind of moment, you know, and I guess that was my audition was, was playing with Desmond. And, and I, and I did like the whole time I was with Eddie, I was also kind of in tandem playing with Desmond because him, uh, him, Julian and, and Jesse played in Eddie's band. So we had three of his kids yeah. in the band and we were like the West coast band, you know, so we played, yeah. you know, Eddie would say like West of the, West of the Mississippi, those are the gigs we were playing. And then on the East side, that's where he had, you know, Tommy and, and also, uh, Benito to Bartoli and, uh, um, Johnny Snyder and, and Lee Beverly and, and Chris Grove, um, you know, like kind of his more, not like his complete original band, but like, you know, guys had been playing with a long time. They played all the East Coast stuff. So it was just this sort of East Coast, West Coast thing we had going on. All the West Coast shows we played. I did play a couple with Eddie on the East Coast, which was awesome. I played in New York with him. I played in uh, Ontario, Canada with him for, uh, we actually played with Johnny Lang. That was a, that was a fun night, man. So it was it was cool, yeah. and but yeah, man, it was just a whirlwind for three years after that playing with Eddie. Yeah, that's great, man. Well, I'm sorry you lost a friend, Mr. Eddie Money. <sighs> yeah, uh, I miss him, man. I miss him. And, and my yeah, one yeah. my one regret, I guess, is that you know, because when I found out what he was dealing with, you know, the cancer and everything, I I, uh, I thought to myself, like, you know, I don't care if I never play a show with Eddie again. I just need to hang out, you know, and just be there. And I wish I did that more. Yeah, I feel you, man. That's that's common in this busy world that we yeah, that we all live in. But you got to see him a few times, or that's yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> actually, the last time I saw him was when he broke the news to me because I didn't I didn't know I didn't you know I had a feeling something was going on. I didn't want to pry. I didn't want to you know it wasn't my place. Yeah. But then Eddie Eddie told me um, that you know he's got cancer and. Uh, and he was like, he was like, I'm gonna beat it, I'm gonna beat it. And I'm like, dude, if anyone's gonna beat it, it's you. You know, <laughs> he's uh, um, he had such a, a positive spirit. He was so optimist. He was su- such an optimist about it, you know. And um, and he was still working. I guess the one thing was, I was, I was just thinking like, maybe he should slow down a little bit and just, you know, not because uh, I don't know if that was necessarily the healthiest thing for him to do is just to to keep keep working but because of the tv show and stuff you know he was doing really well and i guess he didn't want to he didn't want to lose momentum you know he was a yeah, hard yeah, worker a tv man. show going on on what network was that access tv oh yeah that's a cool situation access tv they do so much cool stuff now that, what was it called <laughs> it was called real money oh real money real money there are two seasons um i make some appearances in, in season one and season two was more just about the family, you know, um, where season one was a lot about just like the performances, the traveling and all that stuff. And the production team was awesome. They were great people. And even though it was a reality show, man, it was, if you watch it, it's pretty true to life. Like what it was like just hanging around there. Yeah. Just bombastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's like well, it's not scripted. <laughs> it's like the Osbournes, you know, like if you have more a or less. Pay- yeah patriarch who has so much personality which eddie did he's just one of those guys man he had the personality he was he was mr personality i think no one i've ever met has uh, more deserved that title than him <laughs> word well you also teach too man you're uh, you've got you're working a lot with uh, guitarmasterymethod.com right yeah man uh charlie wallace his uh his his baby remember when i uh got you guys to meet in napier when you guys were playing yeah, in new yeah. zealand man that was in cool. new zealand that yeah. was i do remember that now that you mention it that was i'm so That's glad nice. that worked out when i got that when you sent me that selfie 
or I think Charlie sent it, the two of you together, I was like, yes! Man, being on the other yeah. side of the world and connecting two buddies, that was fun. Yeah, that was a great day. I mean, we played four shows in New Zealand in January where it's summertime and they were all outdoors. It was, it was wonderful. Yeah, that was cool, man. Yeah, so, man. Tell us more about your teaching thing that you do there. Yeah, so um, I, I last year released my first full course with them, Country Guitar Mastery, which I just poured everything that I learned, man, like from uh, starting off as like not a country player and then sort of being thrown into the fire and, and learning so many hard lessons that really shaped me as a guitar player, whether or not I'm actually playing country. You know, it's just how it's shaped me just in general uh i poured all of that man into that course um and uh i wanted i wanted to make something that like even if you're not a fan of country music you can appreciate country guitar you know yeah and um that's how it started for me i, I appreciated country guitar and then all of a sudden i slowly started falling in love with the music i mean dude even some even some pop country i can jam to like i just it's fun well once i get over my personal biases and uh of course, you know, you can't beat classic country, outlaw country, the, the traditional stuff, but like even pop country, man, like I try to find good music in everything I listen to and just participate in it, you know? Yeah. And that's more or less what I um, what I poured into the course. And, and I think if uh, someone who's like uninitiated to uh, country guitar or even someone who, you know, uh, even is a veteran can pick up on uh, on just like, you know, just everything that I put in there, man, was just an amalgamation of, of a lot of mistakes, which to me, I think is where the most wisdom can be found <laughs> is when yeah. you learn lessons, you know, and, uh, yeah. and, and that's what I put in there. And then I'm actually working on another course right now that, um, sort of the, the, the premise behind it is like, if I could travel back in time to my 13 year old self, you know, and share everything that I know, what, what to do, what yeah. not to do, especially <laughs> like all that stuff. That's more or less what's going into this course, and it's still in the very beginning stages. But that's just that's what I try to do, man. I try to guitar mastery method and, and like the online community and stuff has really made has reignited my love for for teaching guitar because I used to do it. I used to teach private lessons and stuff, but now it's like you're dealing with an online community of people who are so passionate and and just like just love guitar. And, and are always, always down to learn new things and, and, and are open and, and supportive. It's really cool, man. It just, it, and honestly, I learn more by teaching these days than I do by actually learning stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm always yeah. going to be a student. That's never going to change. Yeah. Paul Gilbert will tell you the same thing. He loves teaching. Mm. Paul, dude. He, he learns so much. I mean, if, if, if Paul can learn from teaching, <laughs> exactly and dude I, that's one thing actually paul does inspire me as much as he inspires me as a guitar player he ins these days he inspires me as a teacher the way he teaches you can tell he's got a lot of love for it and the way he breaks things down and explains them it just he demystifies a lot of things and i know how frustrating and and you can probably relate to this too there's certain things you know you'll you'll hear like a, some guitar player do that sound impossible to the point where you actually tell yourself i'm never going to be able to play that and then it's like, no, it's actually not that bad. Check this out. I'm going to show you exactly like piece by piece what goes into this. Like, do like Travis Picking, for example. You know, I was late to the game with, with that kind of stuff. Now it's like, you know, just. You know, like that, like I do it all day long now. I love that stuff. And when I, but I, when I first heard it, like on, on uh, I think it was a Chet Atkins tune I was listening to. And I'm like, 
how does one man do that? And I told myself for years and years, there's no way I'll ever play like that. And then it wasn't until maybe a couple years ago that I finally was like, okay, let me, let me examine all the moving parts, you know, yeah. bit by bit. And then it's that like, sounded great what you're just playing. Oh, thanks, man. I, you know, just I've noticed with with Travis picking, it's really it's just taking one piece at a time, and just dissecting it, and then knowing each yeah. individual piece, and then slowly working your way into playing it in time. You know, yeah. so uh, that's that's what I try to do. I try to demystify things the way Paul Gilbert does. You know, so when you're teaching for a company like like that, like Guitar Mastery Method. Do they give you a, an advance for your course or something? And then you make more money as, how, can you talk about how you generate any income from that or? Yeah, well, it's essentially my job. Like I, it's a salaried position. Salary. Yeah. That's epic. Dude, I'm, I'm very, very, very fortunate and blessed. Yeah. Especially during this time with no gigs, you know, for a while because of Guitar Mastery Method, you know, uh, gigs were supplemental income. So that's something I'll never take for granted, you know. Um, and, and it's really, I owe a lot to them because they have allowed me to find a job to where I don't have to compromise what I do in music. You know, I don't have to compromise the gigs. I don't, because as far as they're concerned, everything I do all contributes to, because the more I learn, the more I can teach too, you know. So it's just like this win-win of, of just value, you know, on, on both sides. So I'm very, very fortunate, man. You know, it's, 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 it's always awkward talking about, uh, <laughs> talking about this, but I, I just, I do want to say how, how, um, yeah, just how I definitely That's count my beautiful. blessings, you know? <laughs> well, I love what you've done, man. And like your whole story of, I mean, I think any of us who have gotten, been lucky enough to work, people always ask, man, how do you get gigs? How do you get good? Like, and your story about getting the Eddie money gig is just, it's just great, man, because it just shows you there's no way to do it. You just got to love the guitar and just stay active and just keep doing shit. Right. And maybe something will happen. The yeah. only the only piece of advice I would I would possibly offer is just have no expectation. Like yeah. not even low expectation, have no expectation at all. Because any kind of expectation you sort of create this scenario in your head that you attach yourself to that how you imagine it's going to look when it finally happens. And the problem with that is life doesn't always work out the way we think it's going to, right? So we could very easily miss an opportunity because it didn't look the way we thought it would look. You know, so it's almost like a form of self-sabotage to have expectations. Right. I just say have no expectations and if even if you meet somebody, like when I when I met Eddie the first time and we we went straight into that conversation of like possibly playing for him, you know, part of me did think like, did I just have a break? Like, was this, was this, it? is it that, you know, I've only been in LA like less than a year at the time, but, but then, you know, it did not pan out the way I thought it would. Two years had to go by. So I think there's something to be said about being authentic as a musician too, because I think as guitar players, we're, we're a little more stifled when it comes to authenticity compared to, uh, people who play other instruments. And I think it's because of there's so many stigmas around being a guitar player, good and bad, that this this is in my experience, man, like only in recent years did I really make it a priority to just speak, like like say something with the guitar, you know? Like like that 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 old adage, like if you have something to say, say it. You know, I, I didn't yeah. understand what that meant for years, you know? 
but I, I felt like it's it's almost like you treat the guitar like a conduit of you, of, of your personality, you know, like the inner depths of your own self and you can express that um, through the guitar and you don't necessarily do that by learning licks and, you know, I mean, that's all fun, Yeah. but when you just are constantly just chasing licks all the time, it's, it's easy to lose sight, you know, of just trying to just be an honest musician, like just speak through your, speak through your guitar. And I've, I've made that a much more of a priority these days because I'm just so inspired by, you know, you know, who's actually great. And I think probably one of the most, uh, obvious examples of this is Greg Koch. Like the way he plays, it's exactly how he is as a person. Yeah. Yeah. There is no, and I mean, dude, you had him on the show. Like he's, he's a hero of mine too. And he's, he's a hero of mine, not just as a guitar player, but like almost in like the way a life coach would be like an inspiration because he's actually doing it. Like he is speaking himself through the instrument and it's so obvious and everyone I know who knows Greg personally is like, that's exactly what he's like as a person, like how he plays and how he speaks and all that stuff. That's just what he's like. And I, I love that. Like that's authenticity right there. Yeah, it's true. You know, and Greg, you know, is a great example because he has such a big personality and it really comes through in the way he plays. Whereas with other players, it's more subtle, you know, for me, I, I think just, just wanting to think of the guitar as like I said, a, a conduit for just just speaking through like what you want to say. It really changes just yeah. how you look at it. You know, I'm getting a little yeah, yeah. meta on you, but <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry about that. I, I definitely always think it's really important to do what you love because so many you talk about being inauthentic, and I think a lot of guitar players are try to jump on. Oh, people are doing this. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to do that. Yeah. But sometimes, sometimes by the time you get that together things have moved on right it's much better i think just to do what you really love even if you're even if people are knocking you for it at first like i remember not to drop names but i do interview people i went over i interviewed i interviewed joe perry from aerosmith at his house wow and i i had the courage to ask him like hey man i heard that you were kind of resentful when van halen came out (laughs) and uh that the band was, and he, and he was so honest, man. It was really striking. He was like, yeah, well, we were jealous. This new California band comes out, and they're just blowing up, and they're really good. And, and he's talking about how, how some of him and the other guitar players looked at Eddie, and they're like, we all knew you could do that tape trick with the Echoplex where you slow it down. Yeah. But we thought it was silly. And here this kid comes out, and he does it and makes it so cool. Right. You know? And, like, to me, that was, like, the lesson. Like, you know, this kid is doing what he loves you just gotta you know i think that's what he was saying like you Mm. if there's something you love just fucking do it if it's authentic to you no matter what and go for it (laughs) you're right you're right man and i guess that being said even if someone wants to just learn licks and learn their favorite songs if that fulfills them and makes them happy like by all means you know do it but yeah I guess for me, it's 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 almost like um, it, it ties in the guitar to like I guess my personal journey through life, just trying to uh, just be authentic. You know, I'm starting to sound like a spokesman for Gibson. <laughs> oh right, right. <laughs> yeah. But play authentic, guys. No, um, but but yeah, uh, and I think it's um, because I was I was such a I was so late to figure out my own musical identity, uh, even though I, I was I was ahead of. Um, of a lot of people, like, you know, from where I grew up, uh, in terms of, like, the stuff I could play, like, I could play all this, you know, complicated stuff at the time, which I can't even play now, like, I don't have the chops I had when I was in my 20s, but 
I where where did you grow up? I grew up in Houston, Texas. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. Just got to get a little bio in for. Yeah, of course. That's, and, and that's partly why I really like Tennessee. Tennessee really reminds me of home in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, man, like I, I was I was focused on just learning, like just building these monster chops. You know, that was that was that was my journey at the time. And then I once I went, you know, became professional or whatever. It's like none of that served a purpose, and so. Yeah. I had to I had to learn a lot and and then now in retrospect it's like if I had focused on just playing honestly you know from the beginning I can't I, I man I'd love to see what kind of guitar player I'd be now I you know? well I think you're doing just fine man you got tone pocket and great vibrato that's what matters <laughs> thanks man that's those, those are the, the three those definitely do matter man and I think I think more people need to be outspoken about how much that matters. Well, it seems like you're doing great there, and uh, congratulations on the on the nice move and a nice open space, lots of light and trees and guitars. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Well, you know, when I look at trees now, I just look at them as future guitars. <laughs> <laughs> you're surrounded by thousands of them, thousands of future guitars, and watch out for those twisters, dude. I know that's the There's one thing. Tornadoes. That's the one thing that uh, <laughs> I, uh, I it gives me a little anxiety, but. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, as long as me and my wife are all right, you know, and I'm insured. <laughs> Words to to live by and keep keep guitars by. Well, man, thanks for doing the show, man. I, I'm so thrilled to have you on. It was a fun hang. Likewise, man. I, I really appreciate it. This is like, you know, yeah. I love always love catching up and chatting with you. Do you want to take us out on a little more guitar? Oh, you know what? I'll tell you what. Uh, I, I could I could teach a quick lick if you'd like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I was actually thinking, yeah. I was like, what's like one lick I can come up with that actually Jude would want to learn from me? And I think it's this one. Check this out. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, um, it's, it uses, you know, the, the open string thing. And, and it's, right. it's essentially, uh, and it results. All right, play it, play it one more time. Let's hear that shit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so how do you play that? So Starting what I'm doing is, uh, so th th I'm actually going doing this essentially. But I'm throwing an open string. So it starts off uh, open E and then uh, uh, hammer on third fret to fourth fret. And then play the open A. There you go. And then you're going to shift over and then, and then hammer on the um, sixth to seventh fret on the low E string. I like that. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, let's see, you're going... Yeah, so you're going to... When you um, hammer on the 7th fret on the low E, you're going to play 4th fret on the A string. There you go. Yeah. And you play the open D. Yeah, it's a big nasty cascade. Very, Yeah, very... Very nasty, smeary cascade. And then you hammer onto the sixth fret on the A string. Yeah. Oh, wait. Yep, yep. And then and then it just goes into a, like a major, A major seven. So I'm just uh, doing a, you know, hammer on from four to seven on the D string. And then playing the the third there on the uh, sixth fret of the G string, and then 
Yeah. And fourth fret on a high E. Oh, thank you, man. That's cool. I, I'm a sucker for cascades. Yeah, dude, that's that's one thing that I love about about country guitar too. And one yeah. kind of fun thing that that I that I've noticed. Uh, so there's a lick I like to play. Like if I'm in like you know just doing a pentatonic type stuff, you know, you know I'll throw in the. So when yeah. I do that, it's just there we go. And but like I realize if I if I transpose that up to B flat. But wait, so you're in, you're at the fifth fret blues position, kind of. Yep, yep. But you're incorporating the open second string I heard in there. Yeah, exactly. So it's uh, so I'm doing uh, you hammer <laughs> on to the major third there on the G string. So then you play. Yeah. Yeah. You go on the you land on the the one there, and then you play the open B string, and then uh, after you play the open B, then you, then you hammer on to the third again. Yeah. And then you play the open E. Dang. And then, and then just do, it yeah. kind of goes Dorian for a second there. So just, um, that's sweet. But, but check this out. When you, when you just transpose it up to, uh, to B flat, this sounds like something Greg Hawk would play. And I'm proud of myself for like, for doing this because I'm like, you know, how he, he, he likes to get dissonant yeah. and stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you it, get well, the gristle almost in there. sounds altery kind of. So yeah, it's that same Nasty. lick. Just... I love it. <laughs> I'm... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I was playing over you. Oh no, no, <laughs> it's, I'm just such a fan of that stuff, cascadey kind of stuff. There's always rooms to throw that in. I threw it in stuff like this. That's a Dolly Parton's version of a Billy Joel song. Ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a, my own little arrangement of it, but I fell in love with that song. I stole a lick from Brian Sutton, the great... Acoustic flat picker. Isn't that awesome? I gotta see what you're doing, man. Oh, sorry. You're the hiding, phone, you're hiding yeah. the guitar from me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Brian Sutton's a. Some, or, I don't know. It's. It? Yeah. Well, long live Eddie Money. Keep it alive to you, 95, Eddie.